Hey, welcome to After Church Apologetics. I'm Courtney Seacrest here with Dr. Chris Jakeway and Pastor Leo Wilson, and we're inviting you to join us today in uncovering the truths that will challenge, inspire, and expand your perspective on Christianity. So let's get started. Hey, everyone, we're back, and this is part two um, talking about hell. So today's question is, will the people in hell be there eternally or will they just cease to exist? Yeah, before I was a Christian, um, I would have labeled myself looking back as an annihilationist. I thought when you died that life was just over, like it was just done. But then somebody shared the gospel with me and I started to progress in my relationship with God. There are some verses here that address this. We'll call it on the first layer, and then we'll ask another layer um, question. The first verse is Matthew 18, 8. If your hand or foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands and two feet and to be thrown into the eternal fire. So notice that idea of the, the, the word eternal, this idea of it's not just a one punishment slap on the wrist and you're done but there's a constant consequence. Matthew 25, verse 41, Jesus is saying this, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25, 46 says this, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So you see that all those passages talk about the eternality of the consequence. But some people push back even another layer and they're saying, well, wait a minute, that doesn't say like that you'll be in there eternally. It just says that the punishment is eternal or the fire is eternal. It could be destroyed, for example, and that you wouldn't exist anymore. Chris, how do you respond to that? I think biblically, we have to say that existence in hell is both conscious and eternal. Uh, It's the doctrine of annihilationism that you just cease to exist. And it's not just the cults who hold this view. Uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, are annihilationists. Seventh-day Adventists hold this view. Uh, it's popular among some Christians uh, that, you know, a loving God wouldn't do it, that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, they don't like the idea that for a finite life of sin, it's infinite punishment or infinite separation from God. But the penalty for rejecting an eternal God is eternal consequence for the choice. You know, even in our justice system, you don't get sentenced based on how long it took you to commit the crime. How long does it take to kill someone? Seconds? As long as it takes to pull a trigger? If you're convicted for murder, you don't go to prison for seconds because you're convicted based on the severity of the crime, not on the time of the offense. So for disobeying a holy and eternal God, it's eternal punishment. Now, as you said, people often focus on this uh, term about destruction. In uh, verse 46 that you just read, they go away to eternal punishment, the righteous to eternal life means we all spend eternity somewhere. But annihilationists deny that and appeal to verses like 2 Thessalonians 1.9. It says they will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the Lord. And so their argument is, well, the effects are everlasting, but clearly you're 
soul is being destroyed. It's being annihilated here. We see the same word used in Matthew 10, 28. Jesus says, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one, referring to God, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So they look at the words destruction and destroy, and their whole view is based on that. Well, the problem with this is the word destroy in Greek, apolemai, has a range of meaning. It, it, it's not necessarily the cessation of existence. It's also used in scripture to mean to ruin or refers to the loss of well-being. For example, apolemai, destroy, or destruction is the exact same term used in the parables of the lost sheep and the lost son. It refers to something being separated and suffering. The coin was separated. It wasn't destroyed. The son was suffering. He wasn't destroyed. It's the same Greek root word used in 2 Thessalonians 1.9 when it says punished with everlasting destruction. So destruction doesn't necessarily mean cessation of existence. And the addition of the word everlasting means it can't mean the loss of consciousness because it's continuously experienced. That's the qualifier with the term everlasting. In Isaiah 66, verse 24, we see the same idea. They, they will go out and look upon the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me. Their worm will not die. This refers to the state of their soul. Nor will the fire be quenched. And they will be loathsome to all mankind. Far from being annihilated, their suffering won't end since their worm won't die. We see it in Isaiah 33. Well, what about these figures of speech? Right? These are Hebrew idioms, undying worms and unquenchable fire. They refer to the consciousness of the sinner, that suffering in hell will take place eternally. By the way, the church fathers interpreted it exactly that way. If you read uh, Jerome's commentary, this is how he uh, explains it. Normally, worms, actually in Hebrew it's maggots, feed upon their prey until it's consumed and then they die. Well, the idea here in Isaiah is that the worms of hell will never complete their work because their work never ends. The fire is unquenchable. So Jesus quotes this from Isaiah when he talks about hell in Mark 9, 47 to 48. And this is what you referred to a moment ago. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye uh, than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, which is Gehenna there, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And the word there, by the way, in Greek, autos, refers to self. It's where we get words like uh, autobiography and so on. So hell involves awareness. This is about people in misery. That's why this is so important. And there's another interesting point here that the sin is ongoing. In another episode, you, uh, Leo, referred to this uh, quote from C.S. Lewis. Tell us that again. Yeah, he said that the door to hell is locked from the inside. And what he was trying to imply is people in hell don't want to be around God. They don't want him, they don't want any part of a relationship with him. So the lock from the inside means they're keeping him out. Right. So it isn't, in fact, 
infinite hell for finite sin. It's infinite hell for infinite sin. It's continuous separation from God as the result of continuous sin. We tend to think that, well, once people get to hell, boy, then they're going to change their mind. But biblically, the idea is they become even more hardened against God, that they develop new or intensified hatred of God. So hell is self-perpetuating in that point, which is what C.S. Lewis was getting at there. And how about Satan? Well, in Revelation 20.10, he'll be thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, which is hell, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown, which also tells us that there are people in hell, refers to unbelievers also in verse 15. Here's the key. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That clearly describes an ongoing existence, not annihilation. So is that a bad thing? You know, is the whole idea of hell bad? And biblically, we'd say hell actually is a good place in the same way that prisons are good places. They're not comfortable for people in them, but all agree that that justice demands it. And there's one last point uh, I thought is significant for this idea of whether, you know, you continue a conscious eternal existence in hell or whether you just cease to exist is that scripture makes it clear. And a lot of Christians, when they first hear this, think, well, wait a minute, I haven't, I'm not sure about that. I haven't heard that, that there are degrees of punishment in hell. And people automatically think that's like a Catholic purgatory, whatever, something else. But no, that's actually uh, an implication from the words of Jesus. And degrees of punishment obviously don't work with the cessation of existence because on that, there's no middle ground. You know, a a person is either annihilated or he isn't. It's not like, well, you're going to cease to exist, but you're really going to cease to exist. I mean, there, there, there aren't degrees or do you see what I mean? There, I do, yeah. There, there aren't grades of ceasing to exist. But in Matthew 10, 15, Jesus makes it clear that judgment for some people will be worse than for others. In fact, Jesus compares unbelievers in different cities. Uh, for example, the unbelievers in Tyre and Sidon, this is Matthew eleven twenty one, will receive punishment that's more bearable than the unbelievers in Chorazin and Bethsaida. Uh, and that, again, I think creates a dilemma for the doctrine of annihilationism. Yeah, and I, I really hope that that's not anybody's uh, backup plan of like, well, I'm going to hell, but I'll, I'll, I'm going to try for the lower level. Um, like, I, I would advise against that. But, you know, another thing, scripture is so important and when we look towards it. And I know that people still have these questions like, yeah, but I just, I think God is just so loving that he would never just have that punishment because like, I just don't see how that's loving and they just can't get around it. And I would want people to start challenging their idea of good compared to God's idea of good. And sometimes we can give defeaters for this, which is like things that you can think about, which is like, hey, look, that may not be so bad. And here's one for for doing that. A lot of time with working with middle schoolers, high school students and stuff, we see, and being a parent, that 
negative attention for kids is preferred over no attention, right? The idea that we see this in kids that are abused of the ultimate form, the kids have the most damage done to them. It's not from abuse, but from neglect. It's from ignoring them as a person, from denying a relationship. Everything that Chris just described in there with C.S. Lewis's quote being locked from the inside, the idea of sin going on eternally, hell could be a place that if you look at it the right way is like, he's not just destroying them, but like you've chosen to break the relationship. You know, you've chosen that way of life. So I wouldn't say it is the least loving thing that he can do. Not only is hell a good place, it could be the most loving response to sin that he can give. A very just one is also very loving. Thanks for hanging out with us on After Church Apologetics today. To submit a question for a future episode of our show, you can email us at podcast at bcfriends.org. Remember, the pursuit of truth is ongoing. So we'd like to encourage you to continue seeking and engaging with the topics that we've discussed for yourselves. And as we conclude this episode, we want to remind you that respectful dialogue can bridge gaps and build connections. We'll see you next time.